You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Hello there and thank you for downloading The Agenda's podcast from the 22nd of November. And we had a food waste special on the programme today looking at an intriguing suggestion that we should be fined for throwing away unwanted food. That is one idea being floated by a government official leading the country's NAMA food loss roadmap. We spoke to Khalud Hassan Al-Nuais and we also got your views on this fairly contentious subject. We also looked into how you can reduce the amount of food that you're throwing away and discussed sell-by dates and expiry dates with Bobby Krishna from the Food Safety Department of Dubai Municipality. And we caught up with the founder of a startup making use of all that wasted food. Lara Hussein is the co-founder of the Waste Lab, who have expanded exponentially over the last year. Meanwhile, a new report suggests humanity is facing a deepening land crunch, double the size of India, and it's going to cause conflict. We spoke to the author Richard King, a research fellow in the Environment and Society programme at the think tank Chatham House. And we also caught up with the winner of a UAE Climate Prize, a Lebanon-based startup that farms worms has won that $100,000. We spoke to Nada Ghanem, who is the founder and managing director of Duda Solutions. Plus, Expo City Dubai has unveiled its plans for the winter season. Organiser Dahlia Katan told us all about their sustainable Santa. And Chris McCarty, our sports editor, brought us up to date with all the latest sporting action. The UAE is introducing a nationwide action plan to cut food waste by 50% by 2030. You know, it's really interesting. We often talk about 2030 as being a big day and it's sort of a big date, I should say. And it feels like it's a really long way away, but it's not. (laughs) We're about a month away from 2024, which means that's only six years away. And if they want to cut food waste by 50%, that is quite an impressive uh, strategy is quite an impressive bottom line. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting to hear how the UAE is planning to do that. Uh, they've got this roadmap. It's called the NEMA Food Loss and Waste Reduction Roadmap. It was outlined this week by Mariam Al-Maheri, who's the UAE's Minister of Climate Change and Environment. And when she was introducing it, she pointed out that one third of food produced for human consumption is lost or wasted globally. It is a particular problem here in the Middle East and the UAE uh, specifically, because, of course, we have our feasting, we have our brunches. And as a consequence, an awful lot of food does just get thrown in the bin, Um, you know, food that could have just been eaten, frankly. Um, And the wide ranging strategy is hoping to change attitudes towards that food loss, and basically to develop more sustainable practices across the public and private sector. We wanted to find out much more about it. And joining me now to explain is Khulud Hassan Al-Nuwais, who is Chief Sustainability Officer of the Emirates Foundation. And she's also the leader of NEMA. So definitely the right person to have on the radio today. Thank you so much for joining us, Khulud. Can you tell me a little bit more about what NEMA is aiming to do and, and basically what the strategy is. Thank you very much for inviting me this morning to speak about this hot topic. And um, really, NEMA is um, 
uh, is the National Food Loss and Waste uh, Initiative that uh, reflects His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nahyan, the President of the UAE's vision in uh, addressing overconsumption and food waste. Um, what we aspire to achieve is uh, really to become a nation where no food is wasted. Um, our mission is clear. It is to drive food loss and waste reduction by fostering collaboration, inspiring sustainable behaviors, uh, uh, influencing regulations and policies that create a more enabling environment for food loss uh, and waste reduction, and also making sure that we are measuring our impact along the way to achieving the zero waste uh, agenda. What, why is it important for, for us to cut food waste? I mean, apart from the obvious, you know, that it's, you know, that you shouldn't waste anything. Uh, my understanding is that it has a particular environmental impact. Is that right? Um, that's correct. Um, many people don't know that uh, food waste has a direct impact on climate change. Uh, almost 8 to 10 percent of the carbon emissions um, and the greenhouse gases comes from food waste, which ends up in landfills. So this has had a huge impact on, uh, on climate change. Uh, the value of food waste in the UAE is estimated around uh, 6 billion dirhams. And uh, we spend so much uh, uh, money on, uh, on basically importing 80 to 90 percent of our food. Uh, uh, we end up wasting 30 to 40 percent of that. And uh, what we are wasting is not just the food that is produced, but also the cost of water, energy, labor, and everything that has gone into the production of this food. Um, it's estimated that almost $1 trillion is spent annually on food loss and waste globally. And here in the UAE, it's a value of around 6 million dirhams. It is absolutely staggering how bad food waste is specifically here in the UAE. Just to throw in another number, which is sure I'm one, one that you know well as well, that each person in the UAE wastes an average of 224 kilograms of food each year. That is almost double figures in Europe and North America. How are we, how are you guys going to make people understand that that just isn't acceptable, that it is really important that their habits change? change here in the Emirates? So uh, what sits at the core of what we do in Naima is really increasing the level of awareness of the general public about uh, uh, the importance of tackling food loss and waste, but also looking at creative ways to change the current behaviours to new social norms. We're going to come back to Kalud in the next few minutes. Pleased to say that we have managed to get Kalud back on the line after those gremlins in the system interrupted us. So uh, we'll be going back to discuss the fact that the UAE is introducing that nationwide action plan to cut food waste by 50% by 2030. Now, Kalud Hassan Al-Nawais, who is Chief Sustainability Officer for the Emirates Foundation, she's also the leader of NAMA. We were speaking to Kalud just a few minutes ago. Um, Kalud, can I, we were just asking you a question about how you're going to be able to change the attitudes of people living in here in the UAE to, to stop them wasting food. Have you got a strategy to do that? Yes, sure. Um, 
one of the um, one of the key things that we're really focusing on uh, and uh, sits at the core of the Naima strategy is behavioral change. Food loss and waste is a complex problem. So uh, first of all, it's hard for people to visualize the size of the problem uh, because we are currently not measuring uh, actual food loss and waste. So uh, if we visualize what the size of the problem is, every year the amount of food waste uh, in the UAE is comparable to the weight of six Burj Khalifa towers. Um, so the first thing that we have started doing is really uh, uh, measuring food loss and waste. We've been working closely in the last year with the hospitality sector to uh, increase awareness to the consumers uh, by including simple behavioral nudges. Uh, nudges are basically simple interventions that allow allows us to change behavior uh, uh, in a way at scale. Um, so the first nudge is really to add messages to the restaurant settings so uh, consumers become more conscious of the topic. And the second thing is around really introducing portion size control and uh, uh, making sure that uh, there is strict portions, uh, smaller plates. Uh, this is a very hospitable culture with many buffets, and this is where a lot of the waste happens. So we've been working a lot with many uh, hotel chains and restaurants uh, to reduce food waste, to change uh, the portion sizes, and this has had a huge impact on, uh, on food waste reduction. We have seen uh, a reduction in food waste by almost uh, more than 40 percent in food waste uh, in these settings. Uh, and now we are looking at how do we scale this up. Uh, we have actually conducted a trial with the Horeca sector with all the hotels, restaurants and canteens that joined our call to action. 100 entities committed to uh, reducing food waste in their, uh, in their settings by simply changing the portion sizes, by measuring actual food loss and waste and reporting this data to Naima so that we can better understand the size of the problem. And we can also work on a UAE baseline study that will help us uh, basically identify where food loss and waste occurs the most across the supply chain and uh, be able to uh, formulate the right interventions to tackle and address food loss and waste. Now, I have seen some reports suggesting that as a final resort, fines could be an option. And, and oddly enough, when I read those headlines, I presumed that those would be fines for personal households. Now, of course, I'm realising from talking to you that the vast majority of the food waste, or at scale at least, comes from hotels and restaurants. So I suppose if fines were to be introduced, it would potentially be more aimed at those organisations. Is that an option that's, that's on the table as a possible strategy? Um, I think that would be a final, a final resort to uh, tackling the problem. Ideally, we would want people to willingly take actions to change some of the current behaviors that are contributing to food waste. Um, we want uh, everyone to be part of the joint, uh, the Naima movement, uh, so that uh, they uh, can change some of their current day-to-day -day, 
practices that lead to food waste. So we want individuals to take simple steps in their in their daily life, such as basically asking for smaller portions, not over-ordering, uh, not over-buying, but rather go to the supermarket with a list of things that you really need to buy, uh, making sure that you're actually consuming uh, what you buy before it expires, buying odd vegetables. They basically taste the same and uh, they are much cheaper. Um, so all these simple steps in an individual's daily life can help us reduce food waste. Khalid Halassan Al-Nawais, thank you so much for joining me on the radio this morning. Twice, not once, but twice. Uh, Khalid is Chief Sustainability Officer of the Emirates Foundation, also leader of that NAMA programme. Uh, a great pleasure to have you join us on the radio. Thank you very much indeed for your time. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Welcome back to the show. Really enjoy your messages that are coming through on 4001. Thank you very much, Laura, who says, people won't change until they have to pay for their waste management. At the moment, we see it as the, munici- as the municipality's job, not our responsibility. Please do keep those comments coming, 4001, or you can WhatsApp me on 04871 Right, let's talk about those plans by the UAE to slash food waste by 50% by 2030. The official in charge of the Neymar uh, food waste plan, Khalud Hassan Al-Nuwais, who we just spoke to, has even suggested that fines could eventually be imposed on households and restaurants generating high levels of food waste. So let's talk about it. How can you reduce the amount of food you throw away? And by the way, I'm very much part of this problem. I mean... I have. I mainly have a meal plan, but I still end up throwing an awful lot away. So let's discuss sell-by dates and expiry dates with our favourite food safety specialist, Bobby Krishna, a regular on the agenda. He's from the Food Safety Department of Dubai Municipality. Bobby, good morning to you. I presume you must be part of this strategy as well. I'd be very interested to ask you, first of all, whether there is, uh, whether you think people are wasting food unnecessarily. Okay, thanks, Jen, for the invite. Uh, you know, Yes, there is definitely a lot of wastage, and uh, whether it's 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 intentional or not is a question. But uh, we can't deny the fact that you know uh, a large part of the wastage happens at the point of consumption, and uh, the figures are kind of looking at like almost 225 kilograms per uh, per person per year uh, for UAE, and I think that's 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 something really worrying. One way of avoiding that would be maybe to, for us to sort of learn a bit more about the expiry dates and the sell-by dates. Now, I am well known in my family for happily eating cheese that is a good two weeks out of date. Not a problem at all. Um, but equally, I don't want to start poisoning people. So what's the deal with these two different uh, warning, uh, two different labels, I suppose? In the Gulf countries, uh, we do not have uh, the the difference between uh, sell-by, use-by, and best-before date. So any product that uh, has a date on it, which could be either expiration, best-before, or sell-by, you cannot sell it after that particular time. So uh, so it is, it's treated as equal. And that's one reason why you don't see a lot of sell-by here. But in, in, in countries where 
uh, the legislations are, are uh, you know, uh, kind of making qualifying those statements. Sell by would mean that a business can sell that product until that particular date, and uh, uh, and and people who pick it up can continue to use so. On the other hand, expiration date would mean that there is a safety concern usually, uh, which will uh, which will make the food unsafe, or which, but the likelihood of the the safety problems are increasing after that shelf life uh, is high, where and, and consumers must refrain from eating. Uh, and that's where the food safety challenges are. Usually sell by dates and, and best before dates are quality indicators and uh, you know not a problem for food uh, safety. I'm going to only keep you for 30 more seconds. Do you think people are throwing food away too soon? Do you think that perfectly decent food could still be eaten because they're confused by these dates, these expiry dates? I think yes, there is there is a general panic, and it happens at very early on. So, uh, in fact, you know, I, I always think that the, the the waste happens when you pick up the fruit. So, when you go to the supermarket and you see the date on it, uh, saying that this product is 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 like with a four day shelf life, and I just have one more day to go, you're very unlikely to pick it up, right? So, you always pick up the product which is right. At the at the back, which is normally your fresher product, and you leave the product that's expiring soon on the counter itself, and that's where the the main wastage comes in. And then you got this fear factor around, and people really think that oh, if it's going to end tomorrow, let me let me stop using it today because of, of of that fear. But what you need to do as as individuals is that you need to know that we've already accounted for the safety measure, and it, as long as the product is stored at the right temperature. Uh, and for the right time, we have absolutely no problem with those kind of food. So, uh, yes, there is there is an apprehension among consumers and they have to really uh, avoid that as much as possible, both at the time of picking up and also until the, the, the use is, is completely over. A lot of products like yogurt and, 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 you know, like acidic products, products like vinegar, the, the, they're all made of vinegar pickles. They are much more stable and they do not have a food safety concern. But always any chilled ready-to-eat items, you might have concern. And that's the food that you, you must adhere to uh, when it comes to, to shelf life. Bobby, amazing. You managed to fit so much information into a very short amount of time. Thank you so much for joining me on the agenda this morning. Really good to have you on. Bobby Krishna there is a senior food safety specialist from the Food Safety Department of Dubai Municipality, giving us some great advice there on the agenda. And lots of people getting in touch with their views on food waste. If you've got any advice on how to sort of avoid throwing things in the bin, then I'd love to hear from you. Finn says, uh, in her view, restaurants should be offering smaller portions and she says she takes no notice of expiry dates as your nose and taste will tell you uh, whether or not something has gone off. Uh, She mentions that some hotels in Dubai are collecting food waste for animals now and that people should be thinking of the animals that lose their lives in order to put food on our plates. She says she's just been to the United States and had a lasagna that could have fed three people so she gave a huge portion to a homeless gentleman. Finn, thank you you very much indeed for getting in touch loving your messages
Welcome back to the agenda. Looking at food waste on the program today because the UAE has set out plans to slash the food waste in this country by 50% by 2030. They've even suggested household fines as a last resort. We've been getting your views on that. Very interesting indeed. And now each person in the UAE wastes an average of 224 kilograms of food each day, sorry, each year. And that is almost double that of figures in Europe and North America. One startup here in the country looking to turn that rubbish into something useful is the Waste Lab. And earlier, I caught up with the co-founder of the company, Lara Hussein, who explained their business model. It started as a passion project as consumers at home that recycle everything except food waste. Because when it came to food waste, we couldn't find the solution to dispose it or to do something with it that is sustainable. So this is what we are about. We're here to rescue food scraps and food leftovers and create value out of them. So we have grown quite a lot in the past year. And right now we're working with hotels, restaurants, communities, schools, events, you name it. Any entity that is generating food waste, we offer them a solution to separate their food waste from the kitchen. We also offer logistics to pick up this food waste and get data around it because it's important to give transparency about what you're collecting and what it means in terms of climate, you know, uh, metrics, CO2 emissions, diversion from landfill and other metrics. And then everything goes, we have a farmland right now where we do the natural way of composting, where we harness, you know, the power of nature to produce this valuable output, our compost that can go back into our soil to be used for agricultural purposes. Now, I remember talking to you right back when you first started, literally a, a few years ago now. You mentioned there that you've expanded a lot in the last year. How many hotels, or maybe you quantify it by how much material you're picking up nowadays? So just to give you some numbers, last year was you know our testing trial year. And we collected last year uh, 52,000 kgs. Right now, this year, we're talking about half a million kgs of food waste rescued and composted. And we're planning, of course, to grow next year to quadruple this number. Wow, that really is quite extraordinary. You really have expanded. Has it been an easy process? With every startup, there are different challenges. But what I can say is the mindset is changing in a positive way. Let's say last year, one hotel approached us for a sustainable you know, food waste management solution and they had zero budget and they didn't really understand the importance of a nature-based solution. This year, the same hotel came back to us and told us, now we have a budget. Now we understand the importance of doing this and we want to be on board. And more of these hotels and businesses are coming to us. And we have, for example, some events where the vendors and the exhibitors are telling the event, we will not participate in this event unless you have a sustainable food waste management solution for the event to make sure that this event is zero landfill when it comes to food waste. And, you know, with the NAMA pledge, you know, to reduce food loss and waste by 50%. And with COP28, just a few days apart from, from now, a lot of action has been happening this year towards finding these solutions. And I hope COP28 is just the beginning of this. It must feel hugely exciting to you. Can I ask you a, a question about the composting? Because I was under the impression that it was very difficult to do in the temperatures that we see out here. 
I mean, yeah, there's a lot of misconception around this topic, but you know what? The UAE and this region is the perfect place to do composting because we have sunlight almost every day of the year. And the way we do composting is we harness the power of the sunlight to help us decompose our food waste and to compost much faster. We've heard a lot about how the government is trying to encourage people to waste less food. You deal with waste food. Are you shocked by the amount that gets wasted in this country? I mean, it is quite large. Per capita, we waste almost double what people waste in the US or Europe. But then again, I understand why it happens because of cultural norms, because of hospitality, because, for example, in Ramadan, we like to have feasts. So I think the economical factors and the cultural factors play an important role that contribute to this amount of food waste. But then again, there's always a solution with more, you know, education, awareness and nudges and support system for people to actually reduce this food waste because people are becoming more mindful and aware of their carbon footprint and the impact of the environment and are starting to look more and more, whether individuals, communities or businesses for these kind of solutions. Ending our hour on food waste on a positive note, Lara Hussein, the co-founder of The Waste Lab, speaking here on The Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. Welcome back to the programme. Lovely to have you listening this Wednesday morning. Georgia Tolley here, and I will be keeping you company all the way through until 1pm. Looking at quite a fun story now because a Lebanon-based startup that farms worms has won a $100,000 UAE climate prize. It's The company is called Duda Solutions. They were selected from 180 other applicants and that was following a rigorous multi-stage selection process. Also six months of mentorship and that's all under the PepsiCo Greenhouse Accelerator program. Now, this is the second iteration of the strategy which runs in partnership with the UAE Ministry of Climate Change and Environment. And that Big Bucks grant is designed to help them scale up their sustainable agricultural solution and to grow their business. Joining me now is the winner, the founder and managing director of Duda Solutions, Nada Ganem. Fantastic to have you join us on the phone, Nada. And first up, congratulations to you. Did you know that you were going to win? Was there any inkling or was it a complete surprise? Uh, First, thank you for having me on your show. Uh, And thanks for the great introduction. Uh, Actually, it was a huge surprise for us because it was a tough competition. All the startups that we were uh, involved in, the accelerator, were like the top in the MENA. And we all had to put a lot of effort. And uh, finally, we won. And it was a great surprise for us. And we're so happy. Tell me what your business does. It makes for great headlines, you know, a farm of worms. Um, But I'm sure there's much more, you know, there's real substance to it as well. Yeah, sure. So Duda uh, means earthworms in Arabic. Okay, so Duda Solutions is like uh, bringing earthworm solutions into uh, the spotlight. So our business is mainly a woman-led earthworm farm. We are specialized in producing vermicompost. So we raise earthworms, we feed them organic waste, uh, which the worms eat. We recycle and produce vermicompost. Uh, 
for everyone who's listening to us, so maybe they're asking what's vermicompost. Vermicompost is a powerful organic fertilizer. It's rich in uh, growth bacteria, growth enzymes, and organic matter, which are like important factors for soil restoration. So we're not talking uh, uh, something similar to nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, which are um, the main nutrients that uh, chemical fertilizers tackle. Now, we're bringing a solution that revives the soil gives it all the nutrients, fungi, everything that uh, restores the soil ecosystem. Okay, so the interesting thing is that we've, uh, we've upgraded our work. So now we're not just a, a simple worm farm. We use advanced technologies in our production of the solid vermicompost. Uh, we have a capacity of 100 tons per month. Uh, we also use um, uh, cutting-edge nanotechnology for the liquid vermicompost production uh, with a capacity of 600,000 liters per year. And, of course, this uh, capacity can be expanded further as we uh, uh, land into new markets, into bigger markets. Um, so you might be asking why is organic matter important, how mm. we contribute to uh, the environment and um, others. So to give exactly. you a, a glimpse... To give, to give you a glimpse, imagine on increasing organic matter in soil by only 2% uh, over a 20-hectare field can preserve 2 million gallons of water after rainfall. So this organic matter is essential to capture water in soil um, besides the products wow. that you are producing. So it actually changes the the amount of water that soil needs. And obviously, we've heard already on the program today about what a big impact agriculture has on carbon exactly. emissions. So it, it exactly. yeah, literally from the ground up, you're making things better. Yeah, we're tackling the root cause of the problem. So we're not bringing technology to, uh, to uh, guide like uh, water or irrigation efficiently. We're, we're going to the root cause where we are increasing the capacity of of the soil to hold water so eventually you need less water the plants would need, need less water uh, as an irrigation you know yeah it's re- i mean do you know i'm so i grew up in the united kingdom and my mother had a worm bin um mm-hmm. which is you know a microcosm of what you guys are doing i had exactly. no idea that it was something that could be done to scale and, and are you looking to do this on an even bigger scale going forward. Exactly. That's what we unlocked in Duda. So we, uh, we are doing it at scale, uh, at an industrial scale. Uh, and our uh, project is scalable. So currently we have a, a successfully running business in Lebanon. We already have six products in the market between solid vermicompost and liquid vermicompost. Um, and, uh, of course, we are looking to expand Duda into the region. Uh, currently, we're, we're working on um, establishing Duda uh, in the UAE. So we have the first worm farm uh, in the GCC. Of course, we're also looking into expanding to Saudi because it is currently our biggest market, knowing the large-scale agricultural practices there. Are there challenges introducing it in hot countries like the UAE? Do because, I mean, I'm not being facetious. Worms like dark, damp environments, and, and we don't have a lot of that here. Sure, sure. But uh, I'd do that again. I say we are experts in raising worms and uh, uh, unlocking the secret recipe that can produce for us the premium quality of the fertilizer. But also we, we know exactly how to establish the farm. There are certain specifications, conditions uh, that need to be available to be able to raise the worms uh, 
and scale their 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 growth and of course uh, the temperature the 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 sun is not a problem because you know there are always solutions for that so it can be done in a in a concrete structure cooled uh, 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 conditioned uh, structure so this temperature and like specific conditions are not a problem for us at all how did you get into this how did you become a worm expert <laughs> so um Initially, I'm a researcher. I'm a scientist. I'm an, a lot into environment. I have a background in environmental health and ecosystem management, and currently pursuing my PhD at Wageningen University. Um, uh, so I've been doing research on multiple environmental and agricultural uh, topics like uh, air quality, uh, waste management, uh, uh, and several things. So I, I, I got the yeah, worms got my attention during a simple research that I was doing. And I realized the potential they have in, in really restoring the soil. And I believe it's the missing link uh, in sustainability. When everyone is talking about sustainability, we are missing earthworms. So I believed in that and I wanted to go for it. Um, so it was a disturbing business in Lebanon when we started because people get disgusted by worms. You know, they're used to step on them, kill them. So people are not aware of the services that worms can provide, actually. It's such a lovely story. And Nada, thank you so much for joining me on the radio. Huge congratulations to you for that prize. And I can really hear the passion in your voice. It, it, it really is brilliant. It's one of those inspiring stories, which is exactly what we need, frankly, in the run up to COP28. There's far too many really negative, depressing headlines. Uh, so a story about a, a worm farm to, you know, working on an industrial scale is very exciting indeed. So thank you so much for taking the time to join me this morning on the agenda. You've just been hearing the voice of Nada Ghanem. She's the founder and managing director of Duda Solutions, who have just won 100,000 dirhams courtesy of the PepsiCo Greenhouse Accelerator Programme. And I'm sure, along with all of you listening, we wish her all the best. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda with Georgia Tolley on Dubai Eye 103.8. Welcome back to your Agenda program. Right, we've got a... uh very serious subject to look at now because a new report is suggesting that humanity is facing a deepening land crunch double the size of India and it's going to cause conflicts. That is according to a major new study out of Chatham House in the United Kingdom. They're a sort of major think tank there. And the report suggests that the world has insufficient appropriate land to meet our demands for food, energy and and this is an interesting twist, carbon storage. Joining me now to outline the scale of the problem is the author of that report, Richard King, who is a research fellow in the Environment and Society Programme at Chatham House. Richard, thank you so much for getting up early in the United Kingdom to join me here on the agenda. Uh, tell me, what is actually causing this crunch? What is causing this specific problem? Is it just that there's too many of us? Good morning. Um, I mean... Population is increasing, but it's it's more the way that we are using the land rather than the absolute number of number of us. So we identify three core pressures: one from the global food system, um, which is running way ahead of the land available, um, and that's pre- predominantly driven by um, uh, livestock agriculture and the demands that's pr- pr- pressing putting on land and our increasingly westernised diets globally. 
The second is as climate change accelerates, we need to take more carbon back out of the atmosphere. And whether we do that through sort of technological technological approaches such as carbon capture and storage or whether we do it through nature-based solutions and sequestration through forests, etc., that is in turn also increasing the the land that we need. And then the third pressure is from our changing um, energy uh, patterns to meet net zero. And although some people point the finger at things like solar arrays and increasing wind farms, they are a very small part of the problem. And the real issue we're facing in terms of how uh, policymakers are looking at addressing the solution is through um, bioenergy, whether that's um, with or without carbon capture and storage. So that's the real accelerant, that that new element of um, expected reliance on bioenergy is, is going to be, um, you know, is the, the third element that is really potentially, as you said, between now and 2050, meaning that the area of the, the difference between the agricultural land available and um, what the demand, those demands are collectively placing on it could be as much as two times the size of India's land area. That biofuel element is a real twist to the problem because obviously I, we, we've heard about the difficulties, for example, in the Amazon where they're chopping down trees in order to have beef, cows or, or other crops there. Um, and including one of the crops, of course, is uh, it's, it's not sugarcane, is it, that's a popular biofuel? It's something else. Sugarcane is, is one of them. Um, but increasingly, the, sort of the agricultural crops that are being looked at uh, globally are things like um, miscanthus, which is elephant grass. It's a very fast-growing um, bioenergy crop. And I, I think things like that are increasingly being looked at for, um, yeah, for, for bioenergy in the um, sort of in the power sector. Are there some countries that are better than managing their resources, their land resources, than others? I know that you guys have done a survey, haven't you, a, a, a chart? Yeah, we produced uh, what we're calling the Land Wealth Index, which is essentially trying to look at the um, available assets of land in each country. And it's not just sort of quantifying land area. We're also very much looking at the quality of land. So um, the amount of agricultural land, the um, amount of natural land, but also how well equipped that land is to deal with increasing pressures. So the trends that we're seeing in terms of environmental degradation or deforestation, how resilient that land is in different countries to those different pressures, but also crucially how well equipped different governments are to deal with pressures to um, you know their economic resources, to, uh, to finance the investment that's required in land, but also their sort of governance capacity um, to manage the resources more effectively. And so once we put those um, all those elements together and produce this ranking of countries' ability to deal with it, the other element that we intersect with that is looking at countries' sort of geopolitical and, and economic standing in the world stage. And when you overlay those two things together, you kind of build up a picture of how well different types of countries are equipped to different, deal with different types of futures. And how which countries could really sort of lead the transition to much more sustainable global land governance. I think here in the UAE there is a um, a clear awareness that we lack agricultural land. And in fact, my understanding is that as part of our food security plan, which has been running for nearly a decade now, the UAE is either renting or, or buying land in other agricultural countries. But I imagine it is 
you states like the UAE, Saudi Arabia, who are maybe struggling when it comes to the rankings in your index? Yeah, so in terms of the the ranking in the land wealth index, uh, the UAE is certainly sort of towards the bottom, precisely because of the environmental um, constraints that you mentioned. Um, but we also, when we sort of overlay the sort of economic and governance potential, we classify the UAE as what we call a land poor geopolitical elite. So um, yes, it doesn't have much natural resource of its own, but it is in a decent position to, as you say, either um, invest in the land that it has uh, much better. So you could imagine sort of much greater uh, use of marginal desert areas, whether that's restoring them to their natural potential, whether that's sort of investing in hydroponics or landless agriculture, whether that's um, you know, increasing solar arrays and renewable energy. Um, but the danger that you identify is, is a very, very real threat. And if we move to a world which is much less globally cooperative and there's much more competition over land, then yes, countries like the UAE, which rely on about 90% of their food from imports, could potentially be in a position to appropriate lands um, in other countries on unfavorable conditions. So that's exactly the kind of governance challenge that we want to avoid and it will be up to countries like the UAE to sort of show political leadership and and ensure that the investments that they make in other countries lands are not just sort of from an appropriation point of view but actually helping them to sort of restore their lands and to maximize their land potential um, as far as possible. This is such a fascinating study. There is so much more I could ask you about it. Uh, we're out of time, sadly, Peter, but uh, Richard, sadly, but I really would love to come back to you to discuss that in more detail in the run-up to COP28. You've just been hearing uh, from Richard King. He is a research fellow in the Environment and Society programme at Chatham House and the author of that report and that index. Huge thanks for getting up early in the United Kingdom to talk to us right here on the agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. This is The Agenda with Georgia Tolley. On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station. Welcome back to the show. And, you know, I think it might be a bit too early to play Christmas tunes, but I was seriously considering it. Seriously considering it. Uh, And we all know uh, he likes reindeer, jingle bells and gifting. Who could I be talking about? Well, but did you know that Santa Claus is also a lover of our planet? Well, you can now add environmentalism to his list of qualities because the man in red is about to take up residence at Expo City Dubai and his grotto... Yes, that's the right word, has gone green. Let's find out more about it. I'm joined on the line now by Dahlia Katan. She's the Creative Director of Entertainment and Experiences at Expo City Dubai. Dahlia, lovely to have you join us on the line. There are a lot of Santas available in the UAE. Why is your Santa going to be better than other Santas? Hi, Georgia. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, we're very excited actually to, to launch our second edition of uh, Winter City at Expo City Dubai. And this year it's different. As you were saying, off of the COP event and Expo City's continued sustainability goals, we have a green Christmas this year. Um, we're inviting guests to become eco heroes and come help Opti and Santa save the North Pole and in turn save Christmas. <laughs> so all of the activities that are going to be taking place at Winter City this year will have really fun, sustainable messages for kids to take part in, all while celebrating all the amazing things about Christmas. And and what's super fun this year is everything is happening under the magical dome of Al-Wasal Plaza. Oh, yeah. Tell me more about what you're going to have on offer. Uh, all, of course, with a green twist. 
Yes, everything with a green twist. So um, obviously our Christmas tree is back this year. And then we have five really fun activities for kids to take part in. Uh, Letters to Santa is back. Um, this, we have the snow, obviously the amazing projection shows we have. Carols by Candlelight is back, our Christmas market. Really fun F&B options for, for families. So uh, lots of things for, for people to take part in. There's going to be a very quick turnaround at the end of COP28 into this winter festival. How quickly are you expecting people to be back on site? COP28 due to finish around the 14th, I think. 12th. Immediately right after to to deliver um, what we want to deliver, a really magical experience for all of our guests. We're going to be working really hard and we're going to need the help of all of the all of Santa's elves and all of the Christmas magic. So um, we're we're really excited to bring it this year. It's going to be really fun. It's going to be special um, with a lot on offer for all of our guests. Now, we know that people are going to need tickets if they want to visit COP28. And in in fact, the public is being encouraged to go to that. There is going to be a ticketing system just so that for the green zone, that is, just so that they don't get over, you know, they don't get too many people, frankly. Do you need tickets to to visit the winter city after COP? Yes, yes. You will need tickets. You can find them on Platinum List. It's 20 dirhams on entry. Kids 12 and under are, are for free. And, and that gives you access to, to everything in Winter City. So you oh, can find that. Uh, yes. And then for the first week, we have something really special. We've teamed up with Warner Brothers and Wonka, which will be in cinemas on December 14th. And they're going to be um, offering guests free hot chocolate on entry for the first, for the first, only for the first week of Winter City. Oh, that is quite exciting. That's different from last year. Last year, I don't yes. think you had to pay to get in, did you? But you've rejigged it slightly. Yes, we've rejigged it, but it gets you so many things. So all of the activations inside will, will be free. Um, uh, photo with Santa's for free. Obviously, every, everything inside will be included with the ticket. And again, kids, kids 12 and under are for free. Oh, that's mine. So I'm fine. That's it. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. mine. And I just have to pay for me. So 20 yeah. dirhams for me. And I get two kids and I get an entire afternoon of entertainment. I'm sold, basically. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dahlia, absolutely lovely to have you join us on the line again. They're very busy down there at Expo City, as you can imagine. We are literally seven days off COP28. So I imagine um, Dahlia has only minutes to spare to spare to come and talk to us on the radio. So great to have her on. Dahlia Katan, their Creative Director of Entertainment and experiences at Expo City Dubai. Georgia here, keeping you company all the way through until one o'clock. And I have help at hand. Uh, We're going to turn our attention now to the sports news. And our editor, Chris McCarty, uh, sent us a message with all our headlines, this time starting with football. Well, we start with football. It's been a while, Georgia, since we spoke about the beautiful game. Of course, cricket, rugby, Formula One, golf has all taken precedent over the last few weeks. It is the international break but some big scorelines overnight. Argentina, the world champions, beating Brazil in Brazil in World Cup qualifying. That result good enough to take Argentina back to the top of 2026 World Cup qualifying this. Uh, Uruguay, who beat Argentina the other day in second place. Brazil, though, six matches in qualifying played. They've already lost three. They are outside the qualifying spots, which is 
will seismic, given Brazil are five-time World Cup winners, of course. I'm sure they'll get their things, uh, get themselves back on track, but a big, big victory. Nicholas Otamendi, the former Manchester City defender, with the only goal of the game. Brazil would finish the match with 10 men. Joe Linton, the Newcastle midfielder, come forward. He was sent off with nine minutes remaining. So a big victory for Lionel Messi and Argentina back to winning ways after that 2-0 reverse to Uruguay last time out. As for Euro 2024 qualifying a little closer to home over in Europe, well, the big story last night is, I guess, France, their 100% record is uh, over. They were drew to a piece with Greece. Not a, a terminal result, still good enough uh, to see France reach, of course, Euro 2024 in Germany next year. I guess the big result, it wasn't a qualifier last night, but the big result, Germany beaten by two uh, goals to nil by Austria. Germany's uh, run of disappointing results continued. Julian Nagelsmann, a uh, former Bayern Munich boss, has come in there and their woes continue. Not all is well with the German national team and they've got to get themselves back on track ahead of hosting the Euros next summer. That gets you bang up today all the football. Not much else in all honesty right now. Of course we're building up to the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix this weekend in F1, the final race of the year. We'll get excited about that as it comes. For now though it's back to you guys. Chris McCarty, thank you very much indeed. Our sports editor back at 5pm with your drive time show off script alongside Robbie uh, and also Sonal. Really good listen all the way through from five till eight. The agenda is live Monday to Friday from 10am till 1pm.